Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Uh, today, in this particular episode, we're going to be talking about one comic and one comic only. It's the Aquaman 80th Anniversary Special. Uh, there is another episode out today, everybody, if you're looking for the other DC books. Rocky and I did break them all down and talk about what we thought about all the books coming out for the week of August 31st, 2021. But we thought we'd separate out the Aquaman uh, special because it's 100 pages and it's 10 <laughs> stories. So lots to cover, lots to read. <laughs> yeah, it would have been the, the equivalent of like 18 or 19 books for the other episode. And we didn't want it to be too long. So uh, so we split it out. So. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just give a, a rundown of all the different creatives that were on this book, and then we'll probably mention them again as we go uh, story by story. So Aquaman, 80th anniversary, 100-page spectacular. If you're checking it out on YouTube, you can see all the different covers. Uh, there's a ton of great covers from a bunch of really talented uh, cover artists. And then in terms of stories, uh, we have Foxtail by writer Jeff Parker. The art is by Doc Shaner with letters by Rob Lee. Father's Day by Jeff Johns, pencils by Paul Pelletier, inks by Norm Ratman, colors by Hi-Fi, letters by Josh Reed, Lady in the Lake by Michael Morisi, art by Pop Man, colors by Tony Avina, and letters by Wes Abbott, Multitudes by Stephanie Phillips as writer, Hendry Prasatea as artist, Ulysses Ariola does colors, Travis Lanham on letters, It's a Family Affair written by Sean Aldridge, Art by Tom Derenick, colors by Nick Filardi, and letters by Rob Lee. Uh, the Rhine Maidens, written by Marguerite Bennett, art by Trung Lee Nguyen, Jordi Blair on colors, Pat Broso on letters. Between Two Shores, written by Kevin Scott, Scott Eaton on pencils, Norm Ratman on inks, Hi-Fi on colors, and Rob Lee on letters. What Remains of a Storm, by Dan Waters, pencils by Miguel Mendoca, Inks by Daniel Enriquez, Romulo Fajardo Jr. on colors, and Rob Lee on letters. Rebellion from Dan Jurgens as writer, Steve Epting on art. Jeremy Cox handles the colors. Rob Lee does the letters. Red Sea by Chuck Brown. Valentine Delandro as artist. Marisa Louise on colors, and Clayton Cowell on letters. And I guess there's actually an 11th story I miscounted. Foreshadow by Brandon Thomas with pencils by Diego Olertugo. Inks by Wade Von Grobiger, colors by Adriana Lucas, and Anne Design handles the letters. And that foreshadow story, the last one in the book, leads directly into the Aquaman The Becoming series, which I think is by that same creative team. I know it's written by Brandon Thomas. I think Diego is the, the artist on that as well, uh, which is, I think, a six-issue mini that starts up pretty soon. So um, before we kick it off into the actual uh, stories. I'll call out a couple of the covers. I, I guess what you'd call the, the main cover, which is by Yvonne Reese, it definitely evokes that New 52 Aquaman feel. When Aquaman relaunched in the New 52, Jeff Johns took it upon himself to make Aqu Aquaman cool. I won't say make Aquaman cool again, because he kind of was never cool, right? That's yeah. the joke everybody <laughs> makes. Like They made it in the Justice League movie, oh, you talk to fish or whatnot. And <laughs> Jeff Johns really, he wanted to make Aquaman cool. And I think he really succeeded. And part of the reason I think it worked so well was that fantastic art of Yvonne Reese. And then if anybody listened to our, uh, our, our spotlight, our other episode that's out today, where uh, Rocky and I talked about the Batman Superman annual that's out today. And Paul Pelletier does uh, the art in, in half of that book. It's a flip book. And Rocky was mentioning 
how similar Paul Pelletier's art is to Yvonne Reese. And he's right. And guess who succeeded um, Yvonne Reese when Yvonne Reese left uh, Aquaman? Jeff Johns was still writing it. Yeah. It was Paul Pelletier who came surprise, on. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, because, again, his style is, is very similar. So he has uh, a cover as well that um, that I thought was, was really fantastic. Uh, we also got a, a Robson Roca. Uh, cover which you know again we lost him recently and it was a it was a real loss so he does the the 2010 cover which i thought was was fantastic and then of course i gotta call out the uh the 1950s cover by ramona Fraden, who she when aquaman went and showed up in his his solo book for the first time in adventures comics ramona Fraden was the one who actually drew that so uh fantastic to see her uh, you know, kind of circling back to Aquaman, I don't know, 60, 70 years yeah. later. Well, uh, she also drew one for Wonder Woman in the Wonder Woman uh, tribute yep. issue as well. So it was nice to see. Yep. Yeah, she's fantastic. She just has that classic sort of Silver Age, Golden Age, Silver Age style. So, uh, all right, well, let's dive into the stories. The first one, like I mentioned, Foxdale, written by Jeff Parker, Doc Shaner on art, Rob Lee on letters. Uh, and it's basically Aquaman doing what he does, you know, trying to, uh, to talk to, to fish, to talk to marine life and, and save some people who are having, uh, a bad day, uh, under the sea, uh, a Russian submarine that's, um, about to sink and then come to find out the reason that this giant octopus or squid is attacking it in the first place is, is because of something the, the sub is doing to, to provoke them. So, they end up provoking Aquaman's ire as well. And it's a good reminder that although Aquaman will go out of his way to, to save people who are out of their element, he doesn't suffer fools uh, lightly. And he, he's definitely there to protect uh, marine life. So um, I, I felt like more so than any of the rest of the stories here, despite the fact that Aquaman is colored with blonde hair, uh, he does have the, the thick beard, he does have the long hair, he does have the tattoos. This characterization of Aquaman that Jeff Parker gives us in this story is the most reminiscent for me of the Jason Momoa version of uh, of Aquaman, which I, I like that version. I think it works well. Um, and I did enjoy the Aquaman DC uh, movie. So uh, I, I like the story. And, you know, when you talk about good, clean art, Doc Shaner is uh, one of the best. Um, but I did feel like he gave us a little more uh, texture and uh, a little more grittiness in this story than we're necessarily used to seeing from him. A lot of times his art is very, very clean and very reminiscent of uh, Silver Age art. He gives us more more texture here. Um, and so I, I think that uh, it gives a little bit more of a, a visceral feel. Um, and I, I'll especially call out the sequence where Aquaman puts himself in front of a torpedo to prevent it from from impacting the squid and he kind of gets thrown back. And as he's thrown back, he's sort of, we see him tr almost traveling back in time through various looks that he's had um, during his, his lifetime, then kind of wakes up on the beach. It, it was a nice artistic touch by even Doc Shea yeah. doing that. Yeah. He, he wakes up on the beach sort of in his old, you know, silver age, short hair, clean shaven uh, kind of look. And I, I really appreciated that as well. So yeah, I, I thought it started off, I, I, this was a great a great story to to start it off and, and give a little bit of that 
um, Jason Momoa Aquaman feel because you may have people picking this up who haven't read a lot of Aquaman comics and, and they, maybe they are picking it up just because they like the Aquaman movie or, uh, or the justice league movie or whatnot. So, so yeah, I, I like this one. What'd, what'd you think of the first story, Rocky? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. It reminded me of something that was in the news, maybe about 10 years ago about the, the, the U S Navy, I think being criticized for upsetting the migration of dolphins because of, uh, they're the high frequency sonar that they use for their for their nuclear submarines, and so an Aquaman calls it like it's it's a frequency weapon that the Russian sub submariners are using, and uh, the the title uh, Foxtail refers to a uh, what dogs sometimes get in their uh, ear like a foxtail barb in their ear, and and it and it's it's something that's minor and irritating, but. Uh, you, you can't tell by looking at a dog that the dog is so disrupted and it's something so minor like a foxtail. Just like, you know, when when, you, when something is, as humans, we can't, we would never know what's upsetting a dolphin, of course. And of course, to know that it's such high, it's, it's a high frequency, like some things only certain animals can hear. And it's very telling. And Aquaman, of course, uh, it's it's very telling that he would remember that conversation he had. And... It's just a really nice story. It's a nice story. I think it's even relevant. I think it's even invi- even has an environmental message about you know about we should watch what we do. We don't know how what we do as human beings affects other wildlife on the planet. It's a nice message. It's uh, uh, yeah, and and again, beautiful art. You hit the nail on the head with Evan Doc, Evan Doc Shaner. I mean, I just. I love his art. It's so clean and crisp. I'm, I'm really, we're currently really enjoying that in the Adam in the uh, Strange Adventures series by Tom King, uh, with the with different timelines. The one timeline of the past, what Evan Doc Shaner has done his his artistic renderings to great effect on that series. That has really enhanced the uh, past uh, stories, uh, references being told in the flashbacks in in Strange Adventures for Adam Strange in his relationship with Lana, and. Yeah, this is a, this is a really great, nice little story here. It's uh, it's it's my fourth. Fa- I, I ranked them. This is my fourth favorite story in the in out of these ten that we're ten or so that we're going to be reviewing. Oh man, I wish you'd said that earlier. I I would have gone through and ranked mine. I have no idea. I'm all, they're all over the place. I, I couldn't <laughs> pick them out. There's too many. There's too many to, to pick them out yeah. of the top, off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, the next story uh, is a Jackson Hyde story. But what's interesting is his look here is much more similar to. Um, what you may have seen, and, and I think he had a different name in the Justice League uh, or Justice uh, Justice League Unlimited cartoon, Cal something or other, but it's basically the same character. It's Black Manta's um, son, and he's got the, the shorter blonde hair here rather than the dreads. And his, his costume is more reminiscent of that, but uh, it's written by Jeff Johns. The art in this uh, is by Paul Pelletier, Norm Ratman on inks. Hi-Fi on Colors and Josh Reed on Letters. And it's basically a, a story. It's called Father's Day. And it's basically a story about how every year on Father's Day, Jackson Hyde goes and meets with his father, Black Manta, and uh, trying to find some common ground. There's clearly emotion there for both father and son. There's clearly love there. Um, but I think Jeff Johns does a great job of conveying the fact that they they, they don't speak the same language. There, there's no they're having a real hard time finding common ground, finding a way to, to relate to each other. You know, Jackson just ends up trying to convince his father that he needs to turn himself in. His, that's the last thing his father's ever going to do. And, uh, and Jackson, you know, feels abandoned and his father unfortunately ends up feeling like, uh, 
he's he's lost to his son that his son doesn't doesn't understand him um but i you know in terms of reading this you definitely feel like the blame goes on on david hyde it goes on black manta it's his, it's his choices it's his lifestyle that and the way he's chosen to live outside of the law that has this wall up between uh, father and son so it works well enough i i feel like it's a little short on the short side to really land sort of the emotional impact that um that john's may want now in addition to that aquaman the becoming miniseries that's uh that's upcoming there is also a black mana four issue written by chuck brown so i'm, I'm a little bit surprised that that if there was a, a jackson hyde uh black mana story that it wasn't written by that same creative team but um, I have a feeling that uh, a lot of what you see in this particular story by Jeff Johns will be explored more in that Black Manta series. So uh, all in all, I thought it was solid, although uh, art-wise, the art was good but not great. Um, I don't know if, if Pelletier was rushed or, or what, but I didn't feel like it. it just wasn't as detailed as I'm used to seeing Pelletier's art. So uh, I wasn't disappointed in the art, but I'm often – really impressed with Pelletier's art. It, it often uh, kind of blows me away. This didn't blow me away, but it was still really solid. Um, and yeah, I thought the colors were, were really, the colors were really good. And I like the setting, putting it up, you know, out in the snow, a very cold environment. Um, I thought kind of played off the, the emotions between father and son, you know, they they want to have a warm relationship, but they're, in a way, their relationship is stuck in the deep freeze, just like the sort of the setting of the story. So, uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Rocky? Yeah, this is a this was a a, a little bit surprising in so far as I, I I'm surprised that I mean it's kind of interesting that Jackson Hyde every year meets his father and he doesn't tell other members of the of Aquaman's family, you know, the Aquaman family that he's going to go to meet his the arch nemesis uh and that really he's got to know every year he meets his father but he really doesn't he just meets a robot who's dressed up like black manta it's not really his father but it black manta is talking to him uh through through i guess this 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 ro robotic like likeness of him and it's it I, I find that this story, which is appropriately called Father's Day, this is thematically linked with another story, which is called Red Sea. Later on in this compilation, which is a is a prologue to the uh, the the Chuck Brown scripted uh, Black Manta six issue series that you talked about, Jace, and and basically, you know what really drives the hammer home, the the nail home here. The hammer is the fact that. You know, Black Manta, he just loves power. He loves power. He craves power. And his ego will, will never let him let it go. And he doesn't matter. He'll never give up. He'll never surrender. His hatred of Aquaman knows no bounds. And his hatred of Aquaman, I mean, he might, I mean, it's it's a tragic story, really, when you get into it. And, it, and it's something that I hope writer Chuck Brown in the Black Manta series sort of explores is, he clearly his hatred of Aquaman exceeds his love for love for his son, 
At least that's the only thing I can conclude, because he sure he he certainly is not willing to surrender or change his lifestyle just because his son wants him to. And it's and in that sense, there is a tragedy to this story, but it really sort of drives home the dysfunctional relationship that encapsulates <laughs> the father and son in this in this supervillain dynamic. But yeah, it's it's interesting, and and it's not surprising that it's scripted by Jeff Jones because it's certainly consistent. And Paul Polizzi's, uh, I liked I liked the action and the sequences here. It, it's I, I thought the action sequences was really well paid. You get a good sense of the power of Black Manta, even though we it's it's revealed that this is ultimately just a robot. It's not actually Black Manta. You get a good sense of power. There's some decent scripted action sequences here. Uh, it 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 works pretty well. I like the lettering. I like the the blackness. Whenever Black Manta talks, you got the black word balloons versus the the white of his son. It it magnifies the differences between father and son and really hammers the differences home. Despite the fact that he you know in, in a word balloons colored in black, he tells his son, "I love you," <laughs> and yet of course yeah. it seems to fall upon deaf ears as his son just sort of stares at him and does not say "I love you" back. I mean. Clearly, there's a lot going on here if you really get in, in between the panels. And it's just, you know, it's, you know, again, further compliment to Jeff Johns. He's he's familiar with these characters and you can tell. Yeah, it, and it is so interesting. Like, it, it is a, a, you know, robotic fa facsimile of the Black Manta. And he does, you know, profess his love for his son. Um, but that he's happy to throw off his cloak and, and brawl when, when it comes <laughs> yeah. to it, you know, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't hesitate. No, son, let's not fight, whatever, you know, and maybe part of it is that he knows it's a robot and it's, you know, he's not going to be hurt and his son's not going to be hurt. So kind of interesting. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to the next story. And I, sh I should also mention between the stories here, we did have a couple uh, the first and second story. We did have a couple of, uh, pinups, which are, um, there are that we've seen before from Aquaman, um, from covers. There's one. Uh, by Stefan Sedgick and there's one of Aquaman and there's one uh, of Mira by Art Germ, which are uh, pretty good looking uh, covers. You see him there without the trade dress. So, uh, well, the third story uh, actually has Tempest, who was the first Aqualad. Uh, so for any Tempest fans wondering if, if he shows up in this celebration, he certainly does. Uh, it's written by Michael Morisi, Pop Man on art, Tony Avina on colors, Wes Abbott on letters. It's called Lady in the Lake. Uh, and it's uh, it's basically a story of uh, of Tempest and, and Aquaman. I'll let you take it from there, Rocky. Well, I, I, I actually like this story because it's actually, of course, we got Arthur Curry, who is Aquaman, and of course, Tempest. And Lady in the Lake is, of course, it's a famous reference to the Lady in the Lake of King Arthur of Camelot lore. And this is um, writer Michael Marecki. I mean, he really plays this, I, I think, fairly close to the chest. It's, it's a little bit tropey, a little... Maybe a little bit predictable, but he does, he puts a twist on the ending that I really like here. And ultimately, it's this it's this Vivian, this sorceress called Vivian, uh, ends up uh, showing up and tempting King Arthur, uh, tempting King Arthur, tempting Arthur Curry, Aquaman, by demanding that he pull the sword from a stone, pull the sword from the stone, and by doing so, pull the sword from the stone and rule as my loyal subject. That's what this Vivian sorceress wants Arthur uh, Aquaman to do and and what I found what the interesting twist at the end is that instead of actually pulling the sword out 
uh, Aquaman does something which I didn't expect. He pushed this instead of pulling the sword out, he pushes the sword farther into the stone, which actually harms and actually seemingly mortally wounds the sorceress, which is interesting. I never thought of the maybe the stone is actually part of the body of the sorceress, and I thought it was sort of an interesting take there. So it actually caught me off guard. I thought, well, what what an interesting take, and and uh, ultimately. Vivian, uh, the sorceress, still survives, and Tempest uh, ends up ultimately giving the the final blow to Vivian, and they they end up defeating her. It's a it's a story of it's of, of great teamwork. Uh, the art by Pop Pop Mam or Pop Maham is really good. The colors by Tony Avina are just excellent. I love the 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 color the what he does with the, the blackness and the purple and almost like an amethyst-like coloring on, on some of these panels. You really get a sense of the, of the dark sorcery involved. I thought it worked really well. I, 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 felt, I felt the menacing as, aspects of this sorceress. And, and I love the sort of Arthurian look with, with the sword and the stone. And again, I love what Aquaman does ultimately to defeat her. And, you know, just... The, Really a good story, and for for a small number of pages, I was I was quite entertained, and it was def it was in my uh, number five on my favorite story of of these compilations. So I was quite happy with it. All right, are you? Oh, I can't hear you, Jace. Yep, there we go. Sorry, I had had it on mute. Uh, no, I was saying that I really appreciated that that Tempest showed up in this. Uh, in this special, there's even a panel of him in his, his old school Aqualad costume. As I mentioned, he was the first Aqualad. So I don't think it would have felt quite like a, uh, an Aquaman special if he hadn't uh, shown up. And, and yeah. you know, in just a few pages, like you said, Michael Maurice is able to show that the, the relationship is still there. The friendship is still there. That, that mentorship is still there. Uh, Tempest has, has grown where he's not just the sidekick anymore as, as evidenced by him watching Arthur's back uh, in the end when the sorceress is, is still alive. I sort of saw that coming with the, the shoving the sword in rather than pulling it out, but I thought it still worked really well, even though I, I, I kind of guessed what was coming ahead of time. And the other thing I liked was this is sort of a, a King Arthur story, like King Arthur of Camelot story, but it's mixed with the King Arthur of Atlantis story. I, I love that. I love that Michael Marisi started from that point, right? Yeah. Um, two different King Arthurs and he's sort of, uh, intertwining those those legends, if you will. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thought the art was great. The colors, um, blue, a lot of blues and purples. Which you know, when you're talking about the ocean, you're talking about Aquaman. It, it definitely works. Um, before the next story, there's a couple more pinups. One of them is sort of a character design page for for Jackson Hyde with the newer updated look, the black and orange costume and the dreadlocks by uh, Diego Orlertugo. And then we also have the Black Manta cover um, by Ryan Sook, which showed up, I, I think, on a, an issue of uh, the latest Aquaman series. So uh, the next story is called Multitudes by one of our favorite writers, Stephanie Phillips. Kendry Prasetya is the artist. Ulysses Ariola on colors. Travis Lanham on letters. And we get to see Aquaman's old school camouflage blue costume, which is always one of my <laughs> favorite uh, Aquaman looks from uh, back in that uh, Aquaman miniseries, I think from 1986. So, uh, what'd you think of this one, Rocky? I like this. This was my, this is actually my, uh, second favorite, uh, story in this entire compilation. And 
I like the fact this is Aquaman uh, reflecting on his half brother Orm, uh, Ocean Master, on just how dysfunctional uh, that relationship is. And uh, you know, he's got he's he's this takes place at a time at the time of of when he was in the blue suit. This was also the time where or uh, Arion, Lord of Atlantis, who was a king of Atlantis himself thousands of years ago. I remember in the 80s, I, I got that entire Arion, Lord of Atlantis run. <laughs> uh, he ends up in the past because he's in this, he's sort of in this temple area and somehow there's a temporal ana- anomaly, that, anomaly that occurs. And uh, Aquaman finds himself talking to uh, Arion, Lord of Atlantis. And uh, it's, it, they... You know they end up getting attacked by by Wolfman, uh, which is which which is again it reminded me of a area in Lord of Atlantis comics, and they they end up getting attacked by Wolfman, and they it basically it's these are two kings basically having a conversation while kicking butt at the same time, and you know it's clear that uh, Arthur is feeling guilty for uh, his people turning against them at the time that this uh, story takes place, and the death of his uh, of Ocean Master, his half brother Orm. And uh, Arian says something to him that's quite appropriate, I find, uh, as a life lesson, and that is the fact that uh, you know don't don't judge your life simply because uh, don't judge your life so harshly. That's what he tells Aquaman. Like, don't judge your life so so harshly. He says, do not don't just glimpse your life. It would be like judging the forest by one tree, and. You know, so it's a great message here. Look, you're going to make mistakes in life, uh, but I mean, it's 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 about the whole, not not just the individual pieces that might. You're going to have some individual flaws. You're going to make mistakes. Never assume that the forest is on fire just because one tree is burning. I mean, uh, it's a good lesson here, and uh, the, the the you know he even quotes uh, writer uh, St- uh, Stephanie Phillips even quotes from. Uh, uh, from the poet, you know, what's past is prologue, you know, every, everything that has already happened in the past is, is, a, is a new beginning, you know, today is a new beginning for tomorrow. So in other words, don't be so depressed. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's another great quote. I saw these multitudes as divergent, irreconcilable. And that's, that's the mistake that Aquaman made that, that, that all these things are irreconcilable, but, but they're not, I mean, uh, Again, every every bad thing that happens to us is a potential for a new beginning, and it's all about attitude. and And it's really great advice that uh, Arian gives uh, Aquaman. And I can't help but getting a sense because I mean, I I interviewed uh, uh, you were kind enough to allow me to uh, be with you when you interviewed Stephanie Phillips. Stephanie Phillips has is is a, a relatively new writer. She's passionate. She's and and I can't help but wonder, you know. I think this is a, uh, I see, this is, I think, reflects her, her positive attitude and her passion that she brings to her writing. And uh, I, I quite like this. And dare I say, it, it's even a lesson for us comic book reviewers. You know, when we review comic books, you know, just because we don't like one aspect of a story doesn't mean that the story isn't good. It doesn't mean that uh, that the, the story can't be salvaged just because there's some flaws to a story. It doesn't mean we can't get something out of it. And this story is no exception. So I was... Uh, you know, I was quite impressed, and and the the artist uh, Henry Presetta, kudos to him. I got a sense; it reminded me of those days. Wasn't it Peter David that penned some of these stories back in the day? 
with the blue Aquaman? Wasn't it Peter David? Uh, his, that, that... his run came in the 90s. I don't think. So maybe, um... I'm, maybe I'm confusing my Aquaman heirs because there's been a lot of them, man. But uh, in any yeah. event, it, it was a nice callback. I'm glad I saw Arian, Lord of Atlantis. That, that's always good to see him. <laughs> yeah, it was actually Neil, Neil Posner uh, with Pencils by Craig Hamilton that did that Aquaman miniseries in 1986. Ah. Um, yeah, so a little before, maybe five years before the David run. So so what I liked about this is, you know, that was post-crisis when everybody and their mother, in terms of DC characters, were getting a, an update, right? Like Superman, that's the burn era. Uh, Batman, you're getting into year one with Frank Miller. Wonder Woman's getting the uh, George Perez treatment. And everybody's getting updated, right? Like the let's update them for for a new generation and this was sort of the answer with aquaman and it was supposed to be an ongoing and they ended up only doing it for three and i, and I was sort of disappointed because i thought the blue camouflage suit was fantastic like i loved it i, I picked up that series i remember liking it very very much <laughs> uh, so it, it definitely is a, is a modern feel and i there's various articles and theories about why it didn't stick and and that's fine it, it's not really that important but the fact is that it was so iconic and felt so modern at the time and what I love about what Stephanie Phillips does with this story is she's taking this, this modern look, this modern interpretation of Aquaman. And I get it. It was, you know, 35 years ago now when this came out. But yet, based on that incredible design of the costume, it still feels like a very modern take on, on Aquaman. Now, granted, I haven't read that miniseries in probably 30 years, um, so I don't know how well it, it stands up, but... I still think that the look feels very modern. Yeah, Nick Flaherty. Nick Flaherty does a good job with the colors on it, the different shades of blue and water on the costume. It works really well. Yeah, it's actually Ulysses Ariola that does the the colors in this. Uh, uh, in oh this yeah, story. sorry, I'm looking at the wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. what she does is she takes this, you know, the most modern looking Aquaman in terms of design for his costume, and then she goes all the way back to the beginning of Atlantis. <laughs> with uh, with the, you know the first sorcerer of Atlantis, first ruler of Atlantis, uh, Arion. So, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was fantastic that she you know marries those two different uh, eras together, and then the message, like you intimated, is is very important as well. Stay positive, you know, and and there's a good lesson there. Even if something is not for you or you don't like something. Maybe you're not necessarily the, the target audience, you know. Maybe it didn't work for you, but there's there's positives to be found, or or even if you you literally cannot find anything about it that you like, that doesn't mean it was bad. It just means that maybe you weren't the target audience, or you know, it doesn't resonate with you. You don't have a point of reference, or you don't have a, a touchstone to that particular character or story. But it doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to absolutely love it. So, uh, good good lessons to be learned. Um, so all in all, I, I thought it worked really, really well. Really dynamic, a lot of action for such a short story. So I thought the artwork by Popman and the colors by Ulysses Ariola all worked uh, very, very well. Um, and if you're not not careful and you missed a little blurb of end, uh, you, you may not realize that, that you're on to the next one because there are no pinups before the next story where we basically see this hand reaching out from this pit at the bottom of the ocean grabbing this fish as it's swimming along and and the arm looks like like it could be aquaman's arm um because there's some remnants of costume on there and it's orange and it's got the scales and you wonder wait why is this 
uh, Aquaman, <laughs> like, why is he grabbing this fish? Why is he treating this fish this way? Talking about hate in terms of um, the narration and whatnot. And then we turn to the next page, we get this beautiful full page spread with Aquaman leaping up in the air with this classic orange and, and green costume. And, and when people think of Aquaman, I think this is the, what they really picture in their heads more than, than anything, especially leaping up with these dolphins out of water. And uh, it's definitely some, some cl- sort of classic clean art. And if I didn't know better, I'd be like, wait, is this, uh, is this Doc Shaner? But it's actually Tom Derenick. <laughs> that's uh, the artist here um, illustrating Sean Aldridge's story colors by Nick Filardi, letters by Rob Lee. Um, and what we find out is that uh, it's called It's a Family Affair. And there's a character called Aqua Beast who basically looks like a, a, like a steroid juiced up Aquaman. Like he has the <laughs> blonde hair, same kind of costume, but he's just, he's just huge. You know, like if, if Bane is, is Batman, uh, you know, this is Aqua Beast is, is Bane to uh, Arthur Curry's Aquaman. Um, is he a new so character? I, I've never seen Aqua Beast before. Is he- I don't remember ever seeing him before either, but I, I, I don't, don't like based on the con- context of the story. I'm, I'm just googling it right now. I don't think he, that he's a new character. Yeah. Well, he seems to be obsessed um, with Mira. He seems to be. He's. It's. It implies he had a relationship with Mira sometime in the past. That's- yeah. First, first appearance was all the way back in Aquaman 34. August of 1964. Woo! <laughs> Aquabee saw himself as Aquaman's rival for the affections of the Sea King's wife, Mira. <laughs> That's funny. So he, so basically, according to this, he was once a man named Peter Dudley, and he he transformed himself into Aqua Beast so he could win the love of Queen Mira. <laughs> it doesn't go well for him here. <laughs> no, it, no, it doesn't. But what's what's cool and what's interesting about the story is that it, it doesn't feel dated, um, but yet it, it definitely honors what I just said. It honors the sort of the roots of, uh, of Aqua Beast. So, so this one was a, a fun one yeah. and sort of similar to, uh, to what we've had in, in several of the stories previous to this. Um, it's not just an Aquaman story. It's definitely about the, the Aquaman family. That's, de- that's definitely a theme. Uh, Aquaman has the help of, of Mira and he has the help of um, of Aqualad, the original Aqualad Tempest here, who's uh, who's helping him defeat Aqua Beast uh, in the end. And it even has a little bit of a, a Silver Age feel in the end, where Aquaman basically knocks him out. He just throws him back into that pit, and Mira's like, "Well, you just you just you didn't defeat him. You just threw him back in the pit. Like, yeah, you know what." <laughs> He'll just be back, and and Aquaman's like, ah, it was the best option. There's no cell that'll hold him, but it buys us a few years while he's climbing back up out of the hole. <laughs> you know, that's not Silver Age. <laughs> I don't know what it is, right? Like, ah, we don't want to kill him. We have no permanent solution, so we'll just throw him back in the deep dark hole. He'll be back in a couple of years. We'll beat him again at that point, and you know, rinse and repeat. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. very much Silver Age in, in that way. Yeah. Um, the other thing that really, really makes this story work are the colors by Nick Filardi because they are so bright and vibrant and primary that it does give it an instantly classic sort of Silver Age superhero uh, feel. So uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. It, it was one where it was just fun. There weren't any like dire consequences. There, there are not a lot of things to think about. This doesn't lead into uh, an Aquaman becoming series. It doesn't lead into a, 
a Black Manta series where I need to be thinking about it later on. It just it stands on its own and it's just fun with uh, with good art and uh, great art actually and, and great colors as well. So, uh, what'd you think of this one, Rock? Uh, well, I'm glad that I'm glad you confirmed that it was actually a story from the Silver Age because I, I actually enjoy it more now because I thought it was fairly I thought it was a little bit one you know maybe a little bit old school a little bit older uh, you know I thought it was a little bit almost tropey and overly simplistic but knowing it's Silver Age. It, there's some there's some fun to be had here in watching it. The colors pop off the page. Uh, kudos to Nick Filardi, the colorist. Um, and it's got a good message. You know, you can't choose your family, but there's no better feeling than when they choose you. And it's, so it's a feel good Silver Age story. Good, for, uh, you know, typical for I guess for the Silver Age DC. And and like you said, we're getting we're getting some. You know, in in this day and age where you know every story is so serious all the time, this is it's. It's nice to have, you know, you can relax your brain a little bit. This is just about a punk guy who, uh, you know, like your your typical alpha, almost overly stereotypical alpha male pushing his luck, uh, presuming that the girl of his dreams loves him back and being catastrophically wrong and being reminded that, you know, <laughs> you just can't win a woman's heart that that way these days anymore. Um, uh, although... Perhaps some might disagree with me on that. You know, do nice guys finish last? I don't know. That maybe the jury's still out on that. But in any event, this is this is an enjoyable read. Yeah, I agree. It it, it ends up uh, like I said, feeling sort of instantly uh, classic. Uh, all right. Well, the next one by writer Marguerite Bennett. Like when I first saw the the art, like right away, I thought, wait, is this another team up of? of Marguerite Bennett and uh, Marguerite Sauvage. Uh, but it turns out it's, uh, it's Trung Lee on, on the art, but very, very similar style to what, um, to what Marguerite Sauvage does. Um, and so sort of that, that, you know, clean, um, what is it? Uh, DC bombshells sort of style. Yes. So uh, overall, this was probably my least favorite. I might not know what my favorite story is, but this this one was probably my least favorite. And I don't know if it necessarily had to do with Trung Lee Nguyen's art or um, if it was just the flowery language that Marguerite Bennett used. Uh, I, I thought the colors by Jordi Belair were done very well. Pro, Pat Brosso does the letters. Um, I don't know. This one just didn't didn't work for me. Um, maybe it, just the characterization of Aquaman – we're in the sailor hat. First of all, how, how do you swim through the water and not have that sailor hat fly off? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. I, I'm nitpicking, um, but yeah, I don't. I, this one just didn't do much for me. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really care for it. So I don't know. Don't really have m much else to say. This is one of the instances like we we're just talking about. I am not the target audience for this. Uh, this type of a story. It's not my style of art that I particularly enjoy. Not my style of, of storytelling. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I don't think it's bad by any stretch. Um, I think there, uh, there's plenty of artistic merit here. There's just nothing that speaks to me. So yeah. what do you think? This, I, I enjoyed this. This is, uh, actually this reminded me so much of DC bombshells. I, I, I got the entire, I collected that entire DC bombshell series along with DC bombshells United. And I've got all the uh, DC variant covers with the bombshells on it and doubles of that. I, I absolutely love it. And this was actually be because of that. Uh, so I'm establishing my bias. I actually felt this. I, I this was my second favorite story 
because it also deals with World War II. I love the bombshells that takes place in World War II. It's called the Rhine Maidens. Uh, the Rhine referring to, I'm assuming, like the Rhineland. But the, the Rhine Maidens, uh, this deals with after the Siege of Atlantis. Uh, they, you know, uh, Aquaman and Mira. And Mira being the primary star here, uh, more so than Aquaman, uh, you know, they're they're trying to, uh, they're diving deep to defeat the Third Reich. And they're basically seeking a golden harp, which can be used, which can be only be claimed by a man who has forsworn love. And of course, it's got a nice message here. Aquaman uh, doesn't, uh, you know, he refuses to forsworn love because what, what saves him is his love for Mira. So despite the alluring power of the Rhine Maidens, which are basically glorified mermaids, instead of being sucked into the love and the power of the mermaids, he's able to resist it because of his love for Mira. And uh, the the Rhine maidens are afraid once they're defeated because they're they're incapable of of overriding that the love that Aquaman has for Mira, they're afraid that Aquaman is going to use his love as a weapon. Uh, but instead of doing so, he uses the power to end their curse and set them free. And uh, the message is nice. I love the message. Is decide for yourself who to fight for and who to love. So it's a beautiful message. I quite like it. Uh, kudos to Trung Lee uh, on the art. Marguerite Bennett as a writer. She's hit and miss sometimes as a writer. I will admit that. Uh, but she did She did tell a, an entertaining story with DC Bombshells. And this fits just so so nicely into that, that era of DC Bombshells. I quite enjoyed this. Cool. Uh, all right. Before the next story, we do have a couple more uh, pinups here. There's one of Tempest. There's one of Tula. Um and I think that one of Tempest was a, a cover, if I'm not mistaken. Tula, I think, was that was just a scene from, from an issue. Yeah. Um, and I am a little bit disappointed because although we do get Tempest or Garth here and he he gets to show up as one, uh, as Tempest in one story, he gets to show up as, you know, the original Aqualad in another story. Tula, Tula doesn't show up in the issue. And I was kind of disappointed in that because she's, she's I mean, if you look right there, it says her first appearance, Aquaman 33, all the way back in 1967. She's an important part of the Aquaman family. I feel like she uh, she should have shown up. There's also a, a picture of Ocean Master, obviously uh, Arthur Curry's half brother, and uh, probably the, the you know his number one nemesis, um, number one villain that he fights against. And that's a cover from uh, an issue of the, the most recent Aquaman series. Uh, with art by Francesco uh, Mattina. So the next story is written by uh, Kevin Scott. And this one probably feels the most sort of modern, like it would fit into that most recently ended Aquaman series. Uh, the pencils are by Scott Eaton. Norm Ratman handles the inks, hi-fi on colors and Rob Lee on letters. Um, and it's, it's basically a story of the trend, a little bit derivative, a little bit of a, you know, a story that we've we've heard before, if you will. There's basically this Atlantean who kind of lives out in the hinterlands of Atlantis who finds a, a member of the trench as a little baby and, and raises it as his own, uh, as a son. So rather than being really vicious and, uh, you know, cannibalistic and whatnot and, and out to kill people and eat people, it um, it's much more sort of docile and, and domesticated. And the only reason it sort of lashes out is because uh, there have been other uh, Atlanteans that have been sort of bullying his his father. So uh, in in the mind of this particular trench member, he's doing what he's uh, he's supposed to be doing. So Aquaman shows his wisdom as a king in this story. Um, 
and it wouldn't surprise me. Like, we there were rumors that we were going to get a trench movie, and I think we since have heard that we're we're not. We are getting Aquaman two, but we're supposed to get an Aquaman two and a different movie, um, sort of set in the trench with with them as as the villains. I would imagine that this would be the type of story that they would tell in a in a trench type movie if we ever do uh, do get one. So uh, all in all, I thought it was a good story. Um, the art for me was it it wasn't quite as polished as I'm used to seeing from Scott Eaton. Um, I'm not sure why that is, but there there were just certain panels where things just looked a little awkward to me. Um, but but overall, I thought it was solid. Uh, and it was it was an enjoyable story. Like I said, uh, definitely the story in the book for me that feels like it it's would fit in seamlessly with the most recent Aquaman stories that we got in his uh, eponymous title that uh, ended recently. So, uh, any thoughts on this one, Rocky? Uh, well, not really. I mean, you you you. Well, I, I mean, a couple. I mean. Uh, but instead of between two worlds, this is between two shores. And like you said, it's sort of a typical, a little bit of a tropey story with an, and this Atlantean warrior named Jabrim, Jabrim basically raising this, this trench creature as his own. And, you know, this, this young rebel named Ren acts without thought or forethought and, you know, attacks the, you know, sort of creates a fight. And upon finding out when, when, Arthur Curry and Mira find out the truth. They, of course, are going to defend this this citizen, this uh, this this young trench creature. And it's yeah, I mean, it's I mean, the message is clear. I mean, we, King. They always try to portray King Arthur or Park. I say King. Well, it is King Arthur, I guess. I mean, he's the king of Atlantis, and it's kind of interesting now. He's no longer king. I mean, because. And, and and Mira is no longer queen because now it's democratized Atlantis. And as, as we know in the current continuity, you know, because Atlantis is democratized, Aqu- Aquaman is, of course, uh, and Mira, of course, they're just more figureheads, uh, more akin to the Queen of England than, than anything else. And But, you know, this is sort of delving into maybe real world politics about, you know, it's unfair to judge others by the color of their skin or their look or by their predispositions or by our own. Don't allow our own preconceptions to judge something, you know, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, you know, investigate and, uh, you know, stop and listen and, and put down your weapons and don't fight and, and talk to each other to understand what's really going on here. And, and it took, and they almost allowed their fighting to continue past the point where, the warrior Jabrim uh, was uh, well. Fortunately, he was able to finally talk with uh, Aquaman and let him know the truth about the trench. And you know, it's again another feel-good story. Scott Eaton, I, I like his art. It worked for me. Norm, maybe Norm Rapun's inks is what uh, threw you off there, Jace. But I thought it worked well. The high hi-fi on the colors was was great. And you know, it was this story. I thought this story was a little cliche for me. It wasn't in my, it wasn't in my top five, but it was, uh, it was serviceable. Yeah, I, I agree. It was definitely serviceable. Uh, well, up next, what remains of the storm from writer Dan Waters, who, who really has been impressing me with the stories he's been writing for DC lately. Miguel Mendoca, similarly, his, his pencils recently, he's been knocking out of the park and this is just another example of art. Uh, the line work in this issue uh, or the story is absolutely spectacular. Daniel, Daniel Enriquez handles the inks. Ramula Fajardo Jr. is a very talented colorist, takes care of the, the colors. And Rob Lee 
handles the letters. And, and this is basically a story of, uh, of Arthur reaching out to his, his half brother and, and hoping for uh, a chance to, to talk and, and reconnect. And it, it doesn't quite work out the way that he uh, would want. What did you think about this one, Rocky? I, I really enjoyed again, this was, I always like when they try to give it, when the writer tries to give a message here. And writer Dan Waters here, I, I really like the message. And it, it might sound a little bit self-help, but I, I actually liked it. I, I love the fact that, I mean, what remains of a storm? And, I mean, that's the theme. What, and, you know, what remains of a storm? Well, storms always must end in calm. And as Aquaman no, makes the observation here, as Aquaman is reflecting on his relationship with his half-brother, Orm, the Ocean Master, you know, he, he's, he's talking through the language and the metaphor of a storm, and particularly like a droplet of water. You know, a, a storm is very loud and it gets noticed, but it, a storm doesn't last. You know, there's a calm before the storm and there's a calm after. And it's the calm that defines a person's, the quality of a person's life and, and storms disrupt it. And at some point, it's okay to maybe storm once in a while, but you have to have that calm once in a while too. You know, when you enter a room or, or you enter a person's life, are, are you the storm or, or are you the calming influence? You know, what would you rather be? And that's the observation, <laughs> the constructive criticism that, uh, Arthur Curry has, Aquaman has of his half brother Orm. It's like, Orm is always angry, always seems to be upset. He's always seems to be upset with something, angry at something. He's always the storm. And it's just like um, every drop. I mean, there's a wonderful phrase here uh, that um, every drop remembers when it was mighty. And the droplet, uh, uh, droplet cannot control its fate. So uh, a droplet can probably remember when it was when it was part of a massive storm or a tidal wave. But it's uh, but ultimately, at some point in your life, you're just going to be a droplet. You, you <laughs> and it, it's it's you got to humble yourself. You got to humble yourself. You got to realize your limitations, and you can be angry and you can be upset all you want. But at the end of the day, what what do you have? Uh, all you're going to have is y yourself. And anger is not much. Uh, you know, anger and, and being the storm and being the loudest in the room isn't actually going to get you attention. You know, a storm leaves a mess, but people always clean up the storm. In other words, they get rid of it, but they always want to keep the person who's calm. They want to, you know, they, they want to, they want to keep the, the more level headed around. And, and so that's, that's, that metaphor is rampant in this story. And that's what I love about it. It's a perfect uh, metaphor to describe the difference between Arthur Curry and Orm, and it's why it's why Arthur Curry is a better king, or was a better king than Orm is. Although Orm is now the ruler of the trench, I believe he is now king of the depths of of the ocean now in current continuity. So that's that's rather interesting, and and you see the same dichotomy even in the Aquaman movie. So yeah, overall, this was uh, this was uh, this was my uh, third favorite uh, uh, story in the uh, compilation. Yeah, this one might be my favorite, actually, now that I stop to think about it, because it does have that uh, Miguel Mendoca line work, and I'm a huge fan of Miguel. Uh, but you're right. It does show the dichotomy, the different sort of ruling styles, and, and that that idea that no matter what you do, um, calm will always return, a storm doesn't last, uh, and that's a lesson that Orm seems to have never uh, never learned. But also the, the, the other lesson is that 
even when there's nothing left of a storm, but but the drops running down a window pane, remembering when it was mighty, every drop of water holds the storm latent within it, right? Like there's still there's still the possibility for the storm to be uh, reborn, right? And basically, you get Aquaman and Orm in a room together, and the the, the storm is going to brew. You know, the lightning's going <laughs> to crash, and the thunder's yeah. going to come. Um, and it's it's the inevitability of that, right? Um, they're, they're different perspectives. They're different uh, outlooks on life. No matter what, even if they do have uh, brotherly love for each other, they're never going to see eye to eye. They're never going to truly get along. And anytime you put them together, uh, there's going to be that potential for a, a storm, which will not last, as, as we're told in the story and, and as we know, you know through our own experience in life. Um, but Aquaman, Arthur Curry has learned that lesson. Orm has not. You know, he'll uh, ultimately, you know, on a long enough timeline, Orm would would destroy himself by sort of battering himself on the rocks like a, you know, a wave that crashes on rocks over and over and over. Um, You're never going to wear the rocks down, uh, you know, completely, at least not in Orm's lifetime, Um, whereas Aquaman has has, he's already learned that that lesson. Um, Storms don't last. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of metaphor, a lot of uh, hidden meaning. In the story from Dan Waters, really, really excellent. Uh, all right, up next, Rebellion from uh, DC writer, classic Dan Jurgens. Steve Epting handles the art. Jeremy Cox on colors. Rob Lee on letters. Um, definitely a different sort of Steve Epting art that I'm I'm used to seeing. Much more sort of classic, super heroic, uh, and it's basically the story of. Um, it ties into to. Uh, the recent uh, Aquaman title where there was this, uh, this country called uh, Sirdia who basically um, invaded Atlantis. Obviously they, they lost the war and Aquaman basically annexed them and said, Hey, you're, you're going to be our surface present presence. Um, and so it's, it's basically at Atlantis on dry land, if, if you will, you know, Atlantis is, um, sort of political presence on dry land. And then when there are attacks in Atlantis, there are clues left behind that, that indicate that it was Sertia behind it, but come to find out it was actually a rogue element in Atlantis that was trying to sort of sabotage. And, uh, you know, this, this faction, this, these traders in Atlantis who don't believe that Atlantis should ever be at peace with the surface so a little bit of intrigue, a little bit of espionage here from uh, from Dan Jurgens, but ultimately Aquaman sort of susses it out, and then we're left with his message as king, talking about how uh, you know we need to come together. We're much more powerful together than we are apart, um, and you know everything we do here in Atlantis is designed to make life better. Whether you know we we breathe. Uh, air or we breathe water or where we were born we need to come together and we need to uh, embrace our um, our unity rather than our, our isolation so um, I don't know it was, it was kind of an interesting story if I didn't know better I would feel like this was sort of leading into a new Aquaman series but no, nothing's been announced and it definitely sort of resonated with me in terms of the um, the, was it Andy Lanning? 
No, it wasn't. Who who's who's the longtime? Um, it wasn't Andy Lanning. Who's who was his writing part partner for the longest time? Um, oh, uh, not Andy Lanning. Uh, Abnett, Dan Abnett. Dan Abnett, that's who. So in the Dan Abnett run of yeah. of Aquaman, he had a big long run in the most recent um, series, and his his run was very very political, and and uh, even yeah. went into trying to establish uh, an uh, an embassy for Atlantis on the surface world and whatnot. This this story by Dan Jurgens feels like it it would dovetail in with that uh, that era of Aquaman very very well. So. Uh, I, I enjoyed this, although I thought the Steve Epting art wasn't up to sort of his usual. It, it just didn't have that that panache that Epting art usually has. It, it felt like uh, I don't know. It, it it just felt a little bit different. Yeah, it was it was different than his uh, Steve Epting did that great uh, uh, piece with uh, the Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah, Black yeah, exactly. and Gold last week, and it was. Uh, you know, he did that 1960s rendition of the white costume Wonder Woman, white outfit Wonder Woman, and that. Yeah, and it was yeah. so it was so nuanced that art yeah. that Epting gave us, and that's what I'm used to seeing from Epting is is a lot of nuance in his art. This is not that, and, and it's not to say it's bad art at all. Just it, like if somebody showed me these pages, I would have a hard time guessing that it was Steve Epting that did the art. I mean, there's a few panels here or there where the Epting sort of comes through, but it definitely didn't feel like his usual stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I, I actually, you know, it's funny when I, when I read this issue and it's, I, I, and I get it's entitled rebellion and it actually made me realize how much I, I don't like the democratization of Atlantis. I think that was a huge mistake. And this, you know, reading how much I enjoyed this particular story. I, I, I like, I like King, I, I like Arthur as King of Atlantis. And whether it's King, whether it's King Arthur or Queen Mira, I really don't care. I want Atlantis to have a monarchy, you know, democratizing it and having the people of Atlantis decide who's going to rule them. Blah blah blah, whatever. Uh, I I prefer the benevolent monarchy of Queen Mira or King Arthur. And yeah, that's just the way it is. And I, you know, sometimes I, you know. I miss. I I I already miss this. And and this is a nice callback to that. Because I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that maybe we're, you know, looking back historically, it's I know that having a monarchy is a little bit dangerous, but I, I think that's one of the things that I always stood out about uh, Arthur Curry is that he was the king of an entire undersea kingdom that took up 70, 75% of the earth is under the ocean or whatever, 73, 74%. And so to take away that, to take that away from him in current continuity, I think is a big mistake. And they've even taken it away from Queen, Queen Mira because I, I think there's a certain majesty to to Arthur Curry as the king. And it, it takes away from his mythology to strip him of that uh, because we're imposing our own political ideologies on on this fiction. And I think it's unfortunate. But uh, in any event, yeah, I, I like the story. And I thank Dan Jurgens for reminding me why I like that old classic King Arthur. <laughs> All right. Well, the next one, uh, Rocky mentioned it earlier. Uh, it's uh, the story by Chuck Brown that leads into the uh, the Black Mana upcoming series. It's called Red Sea, written by Chuck Brown. Like I said, Valentine Delandro is the artist. Marissa Louis on colors and Clayton Cowell on letters. Um, and yeah, this art just is not not for me. Um, I think we both had a pretty hard time with the Valentine Delandro art, 
in the Mr. Miracle story that was in the Superman Future State War of uh, the Worlds. Um, yeah. And yeah, it just it, it it's it's just too static. The line work is really heavy. Um, the backgrounds lack detail. Uh, the the proportions aren't quite right, and it it just feels muddy. Um, and so it, it's not doing the story uh, any favors. Uh, as far as the story itself, I mean, we're not treading any new ground here. And it, it sort of has me worried. Black Manta is actually one of my sort of favorite B or C list DC villains, um, particularly because of the way he looks. I just love the the, the giant helmet, um, which is another part of the reason it's like Valentin Delandro got a chance to draw the helmet, uh, the big giant helmet in, in the last full page splash and it just doesn't not look right uh at all um but in terms of of the actual story we didn't get anything new here um especially for the number of pages that we we got it's basically black manta talking to i don't know his fence or or somebody that he trusts and as he's sitting there they get attacked by these sea creatures uh and then for reasons, he decides he's going to suit up and, hey, this leads into my miniseries. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it didn't fill me with a lot of confidence that I'm going to enjoy that Black Manta uh, mini. So, yeah, unfortunately, this is one of the, if not my least favorite of the, the stories. It tossed up between this one and the, the DC Bombshells one that didn't resonate with me. Uh, either, but like gun to my head, I'd, I'd probably put this one below that one. Even just didn't work for me. How about you, Rocky? Well, you know what? I'm gonna. It this actually worked for me. <laughs> Believe it or not, I, I, you know what? I, I never even occurred to me that, that you you mentioned Valentin Delandro did did that art of Mister Miracle in Future State, which I thought was absolutely awful. I would not have remembered it that uh, that it was terrible art. That, but I remember Mister Miracle. But there's something about this art here. I get it. I get it. A little bit of a James Bond feel for this. Uh, that this this sort of like the. I actually find this art sort of stylistic and sexy, and I find the action the action dynamic. I find Black Matter to be visceral and deadly and no holds barred. I mean, he kills these creatures. He doesn't want to let them to live. He kills them. Uh, he identifies them. He recognizes them as as a, they're they're actually groot slang. They're creatures from African myth. And uh, basically, they're after this artifact that his 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 manta men found, uh, which gives off energy that rivals the power normally found in nth metal. And his his female his female I guess partner here or fencer or whatever you want to call her he 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 calls her Gallus the Goat. They they seem to flirt with each other. I mean, she seems to be attracted to him, and they have a flirtatious nature. I. I, I don't know. I actually got a little bit of espionage vibes here. And, and you know, Manta refuses to toss the rock into the sea. She tells him, you know, get rid of this thing. You don't need all this this baggage or this, all this. I mean, if we're being attacked by these creatures, are you sure you want to keep this artifact? But he wants more power. And and what, what little, he, Black Manta, he feels that he's, what little power he has, he doesn't want to give it up. And this is why I said it's sort of almost thematically linked to that, that Father's Day story we talked about earlier, where every year he meets his son, uh, uh, Jackson Hyde, because, you know, 
deep down, I don't know, Black Manta almost, he's got a, a lust for power and respect that he doesn't feel he has, and he never seems to have enough. And that that, that really comes through here. Um, and Manta, it, Black Manta, you know, David Hyde, Black Manta, he admits that the rock may have found him uh, because he, it's this rock, this artifact is actually giving him headaches and nightmares. And this is clearly going to take him on a path and it's going to lead him somewhere. How did he, how did his Manta Man acquire this artifact? You know, what, what's, you know, this is called the Red Sea. I'm actually curious. I, I kind of like this approach here. I, Black Manta, I've always felt is a villain that I've never quite gotten a handle on, to be honest. I'm not sure. Is he a villain that should, I don't know. Should he live in the ocean? Should he live on an island? I don't really know anything about him. I've never actually found him to be particularly interesting. Even during Year of the Villain, I didn't really understand exactly what his thing is. Like, what is, you know, okay, he's got a dysfunctional relationship with the son. I get that. But so what does he want to do? He wants power, but to what end? Like, like what's his end game? I've never really understand understood that about Black Manta, and I'm really hoping that Chuck uh, that Chuck Brown, the writer, uh, and I'm you know I'm assuming Chuck is Chuck Brown going to be the writer for the series as well, Jace. Yeah, yeah, Chuck Brown is writing the uh, Black yeah. Manta four issue. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 hoping to get I'm hoping to get more information there. I'm I'm curious. I'm definitely going to be checking this out, and I find myself oddly attracted to this uh, this teasing this teaser of a story. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on the sort of James Bond espionage feel, um, and and that could bring it back for me. Um, but I, I think Valentine Delandro is doing the art, and I, I don't know. I'm just not a fan of his his style. It's going to be another of the uh, situations like we had with with uh, with the most recent Midnighter story. I'm I'm afraid, and I just I'm such a Manta fan. I'll pick it up anyway. But um, yeah, hope hope the art works for me. Uh, all right. Before the last story in the book, we do get um, a little splash page here of Andy Curry. Uh, first appearance, Aquaman 58 with art by Miguel Mendoca and Romulo Fajardo Jr. And then we get uh, the tribute page for Robson Roca, whose most recent work at DC for a continuing series was on Aquaman during the Kelly Sue DeConnick run. And, uh, you know, again, it's such a, a tremendous loss. Um, that uh, that Robson's no longer with us. Yeah. Uh, but the final story is Foreshadow, written by Brandon Thomas, Diego Orlotugo on pencils, Wade Von Grabinger on inks, Adriana Lucas on colors, and World Design on letters. This is, my understanding, the exact same te uh, creative team that we're going to have on the Aquaman Becoming, which is basically an origin story for Jackson Hyde. And here's what I, I love about that. This is a, in a way, a serious story. Like, there's some serious events that go down, but we also get some of the most joyful renditions of Arthur Curry that I've ever seen. You know, he's got <laughs> the long hair, he's got the tattoo, and he's got the beard, but he's also got one of the biggest smiles I've ever seen him have, uh, both in the final panel and uh, on the second page, where he uh, he smiles after beating Jackson Hyde in a in a swim race while Jackson's getting smacked by Andy in the side of the head. And that's a great facial expression as well <laughs> as she's calling him Jackson. So based on the balance we get from Brandon Thomas, well, it's a few things based on the balance we get here from Brandon Thomas of, of keeping it lighthearted and fun at times, and then getting really serious at times with uh, an old 
um, Aquaman villain uh, scavenger showing up. Uh, also with the absolutely amazing and without question best Future State series there was, which was Future State Aquaman, also written by Brandon Thomas, oh. um, that had absolutely great character work for both Jackson Hyde and Andy Curry and their relationship as you know, Andy is, is Aquaman's biological daughter and Jackson Hyde is very much a, an adopted son. And so they're, they very much have a brother sister relationship. And that was portrayed perfectly by Brandon Thomas. And we have gorgeous art by Diego. Like this has me excited. I already was really excited for the, uh, the Aquaman becoming series, just based on the quality of that, um, the Brandon Thomas uh, future state that had great art by uh, Bruno Redondo. And those two are going to be on the show soon to, to talk about that two issue series, by the way. Um, so be sure you, you keep your eyes out for that. But yeah, th right this, this was fantastic. Like I, I, I didn't think I could be more excited for that Aquaman becoming series, but reading this and calling it foreshadow and seeing how um, it, like, is this the tone we're going to get? There's plenty of action. There's plenty of serious storytelling, but there's plenty of fun character moments as well. And I mean, the last line in the story, Aquaman turns to Jackson Hyde and says, you ever been to Apocalypse? Wait, yeah. what? Aquaman going to Apocalypse? Are we going to, does Apocalypse even have water? Do they have oceans? Like, what is that going to be <laughs> yeah. all about? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, in, in a way, Aquaman becoming, um, I, I've in my mind sort of built it up to be, okay, here's Jackson Hyde's version of, Batman traveling around the world to become Batman. This is going to be Jackson Hyde, you know, going through his training, doing the things he needs to do to kind of level up as a hero. Um, but maybe with Arthur at his side, but with this writer giving us that story and this artist and uh, color artist, Adriana Lucas, giving us the colors and, um, and Diego Orlatuga giving us his beautiful line work. I I'm all in. I like I said, I didn't think I could be more excited for Aquaman, the becoming, but this story actually has me has me more excited. I thought this was absolutely fantastic. So, uh, what do you think, Rocky? Yeah, well, one of the things that I, I think that I've many of us I think have complained about, and I, I don't want to bring up the whole broken record thing again, but you know the loss of a young Jonathan Kent. I actually I actually get some of the vibes here. Hey man, look, this is a, a young Andy Curry <laughs> and a young Andy Curry with a, uh, with a, with a bonding relationship with uh, J a young Jackson Hyde, who is becoming Aquaman while he's going to be, you know, while he's learning the ropes. Uh, I think this could be almost like a, a surrogate stand in for, for what, what we lost with uh, a young John Kent. And I, I love I, I do like this. One of the things that I was worried about when I read this at first and, and and what saved this story for me was the last page because up until then I was a little disappointed in it for reasons which I'll get into. But uh, what saved it for me was Aquaman's final final panel there where he said, well, he's working on this thing with, with Batman and he was going to save something for Andy when she's much older hinting that obviously he's got some sort of training regimen for Andy as she got older and it, it, it involves apocalypse. And then the fact that he said that to Jackson Hyde, he's obviously prepping Jackson Hyde for something. And because this is leading into Aquaman the Becoming, well, Jackson Hyde is going to probably be put through the ringer. And I like that. And, and you hit the nail on the head when you talk about, I mean, the smiles. I mean, 
I think there's more smiles on the characters in this one eight pages than in the rest of the in the in the rest of the seventy pages of this of this compilation. I love the smiles. I mean the the art pencils by Diego Orlateguo, whatever. I mean fantastic inks by Wade von Grobberger. Great stuff. Colors by Adrian and Lucas. Everybody is firing on all cylinders cylinders here. Um, yeah, this is a great time to be an Aquaman fan. Brandon Thomas more than proved his medal in, in Future State. I mean, I'm going to get anything that that guy puts out for DC. He's, uh, I mean, God, he, between him and Stephanie Phillips and uh, 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 Robbie Thompson, I mean, I'm I'm just loving what they're writing. I think, you know, Aquaman's in good hands here. And I'm, I like what I saw previous with the Black Manta story, Red Sea. I'm enjoying this. I'm definitely going to be uh, checking this out. And, you know, I, I still say for speculators, I, I I love the fact that I got that Aquaman issue with the birth of, of Andy. I called it. I said, this is going to be an up-and-coming character to watch. And, and I think I'm right on that. I mean, I think she's one of the more interesting characters moving forward. And if we get to now enjoy the adventures of this young adventurous, I mean, she gets in trouble, this Andy Curry. <laughs> I mean, there's this whole story here, I mean, when she, I mean, she disrupts. When she finds this 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 guide stone that the scepter is uh, that it's part of a scepter that opens up a treasure room that uh, that uh, <laughs> that this villain is looking for. I mean, this this is a lot of fun. This is what I this is what you want in it to have a short story like this hitting all the high notes. It's a it's a great note and it's a it's a great story to end this compilation for Aquaman's 80th. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And and I remember when I heard you know Future State Aquaman wasn't going to have Arthur Curry in it. I mean, when I hear Aquaman, I want Arthur Curry. You know, I, I didn't know that much about Jackson Hyde previously, but Brandon Thomas did such a great job with that story that it it got me interested in who Jackson Hyde is. And now you're telling me in this Aquaman becoming, I'm going to get Arthur Curry and Jackson Hyde. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent in, so I, I couldn't be more excited. So, so all in all, I feel like if you're an Aquaman fan, I, I don't have to tell you this, you're already going to be picking up this 80th anniversary. Um, but I do find it a little strange that it's Aquaman's 80th anniversary and he doesn't have an ongoing story right now. I, I sort of feel like, and you could say the same thing about Hawkman, two of the longest standing DC characters there are that, in the hands of the right writers, I would say Robert Venditti in terms of um, of Hawkman, and probably Jeff Johns in terms of Aquaman. He, he's probably written my favorite um, my favorite run on on Aquaman ever. Um, but if the fans don't show up and the sales aren't there, you know, you can't really blame DC for not not having a, uh, a title. But we do know there is another Aquaman movie coming, um, and We've got the two minis, a Black Mana and, and Aquaman Becoming with Jackson Hyde uh, coming. So I'm sure by the time Aquaman 2 from director James Wan's hit, uh, hits theaters, that we'll have a, a regular ongoing Aquaman. Um, so I don't know. In my, in my mind, give it to Brandon uh, Thomas to write. I think he's, he's the guy. And if you want to make it an ensemble book and it has Jackson Hyde and Andy Curry and Aquaman, Arthur Curry all doing – Aquaman type things, I'm I'm okay with that. You can even call it Aquaman family if you want. I don't care. Um, but yeah, we definitely we definitely need um, an ongoing Aquaman Aquaman title. So um, so that's going to do it. Hope you guys all enjoyed the episode. We thank you for joining us as always. Uh, anything you want to add, Rocky? 
Uh, no, just uh, it's, a, it's a great time to be an Aquaman fan, and, uh, you know, things are looking bright moving forward. Yep, definitely the case. Uh, quick reminder, everybody, if you're looking for the other books that came out uh, from DC on uh, August 31st, go check out our other Spotlight episode where we talk about all the other books that came out today as well as uh, all the trade paperbacks from DC this week. So be sure you go and check that out. If you're listening to us uh, on the audio-only podcast, be sure you head over to YouTube, do a search for Comic Boom! Exclamation point, uh, find Rocky's YouTube channel and give him a subscribe. Like this video and ring that notification bell so you know when there's new content coming out. Uh, conversely, if you're checking us out on YouTube and you're not currently subscribed to the Comic Source RSS feed, the Comic Source podcast, be sure you do that so you can... Uh, hear more than just our DC spotlights. You can hear whenever we have our new comics Wednesdays, creator spotlights, and all the other stuff that we put out on a regular basis. So uh, you can do that by just going to any of your uh, favorite podcast platforms, whether it be Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio, any of those, and subscribing to uh, the Comic Source. Or you can just search for the Comic Source on your favorite podcast app on your smart device and subscribe that way. So uh, like I said earlier, Rocky and I really appreciate the support. We couldn't do this without you guys. Uh, and we appreciate you tuning in every week to hear us talk about DC Comics. So that's going to do it for this episode. And we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.